it could cause people to effectively replace meeting face to face and fellowshipping in person. Um, so I, I think I think it's a trade-off. Uh, you know, it made me think about this other phenomenon I'm seeing here in, in Silicon Valley. There, there's a bunch of startups like Character AI and and Chai, where you're having these digital companions, digital girlfriends, digital boyfriends, and and that that causes some concern. Outstanding is a production of The Washington Stand, where you can find news and commentary from a biblical worldview. Welcome, friends, to Outstanding. This is a place where we have critical conversations about the news of the day and the ideas that shape us. Once again, I'm your host, Joseph Backhold, and we are in an ongoing effort here to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And today, we're going to do that when it comes to artificial intelligence, AI. Now, as we know, few of us know anything about it, but it's all the rage uh, in everything from sales lead generations to the future of warfare. Conversations about AI are everywhere. Of course, there's also concerns that it could lead to the extinction of our species. But Christians recognize that technology is, in most cases, morally neutral. We really don't know if a shovel or a knife or a piece of software is good or bad until it actually gets used. Now, in general, technology just makes it easier to do the things we want to do more efficiently. So if we want to spread the gospel more efficiently, technology will allow us to do that. We want to kill people more efficiently. Technology allows us to do that as well. How will AI shape the church in the years and decades to come and our efforts to expand the kingdom of God? How much of that is good and how much of that is going to cause problems? That's our conversation today. And joining me for it, I have two special guests. Josa is the CEO of the faith-oriented tech platform Glue, G-L-O-O. And he's also developed something called Pastors.ai, which we're going to talk about today. And also, Jared Bridges is the editor-in-chief of The Washington Stand. He's a frequent, semi-frequent guest here on Outstanding. He's also... A, relevant for today's purposes, a local elder in his church who is wrestling with the challenges associated with AI in very practical ways. Joe and Jared, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Great to be back, Joseph. Well, gentlemen, I, I, Joe, I think I'm going to start with you uh, because you are the one who spends more of your time just kind of immersed in, in the technology and AI space. Uh, first, if you could just describe the lay of the land as you understand it. Now, most of us are just real, um, you know, novices at best when it comes to AI. How would you describe the AI universe broadly at this moment? Yeah, and, and just as a point of clarification, I'm the CEO and founder of Pastors AI, um, uh, not of Glue. And so I'll, I'll, okay. I'll kind of talk about it from that perspective. Um in the startup space in Silicon Valley, where I'm based out of, uh, you know, AI has been a, a very hot technology for the past couple of years. Uh, ever since ChatGPT was released, it just developed uh, this ecosystem of builders and creators that wanted to take advantage of these new tools. And that's uh, what I'm doing with Pastures AI is, is bringing out, okay, how can we make AI chatbots that are trained on church sermons? Uh, available for faith leaders and church staff to be able to better shepherd their folks. And so tell us a bit more about specifically how Pastors AI does that. 
Yeah, so we create chatbots that are trained off of a church's specific sermons. And so we'll take the sermon and repurpose it so that you can create Bible studies and devotionals and clips for social media uh, directly from that sermon. Um, and then we also have the ability to train on an entire corpus of sermons. So a church can give us their entire YouTube channel and we'll create a chatbot that's trained off of all hundreds or thousands of their videos. And that way it can give uh, responses to any faith-related question that's uh, theologically aligned with that particular church. Now that's interesting technology because as I understand it, you would essentially uh, gather and collect all of someone's sermons or speeches or talks or writings and then create a digital version of that person that you can then kind of consult with? Is that an accurate description of it? That's one way to think about it. In fact, that's that's what why I originally made this. It was it was made as kind of a pet project for myself. I wanted to ask uh, my former pastor John Ortberg any question, any honest question, and I basically you know I didn't have access to him or easy access to him, and so I wanted to just create a chatbot that's trained off of all of his teachings. Um, but most of our churches, our church customers are using Pastors AI. They don't use it for that purpose. They're, they're using it to repurpose their sermons so that they can get more mileage out of their pastor's 30-minute sermon on Sunday. So they might send out devotionals throughout the day that are based off of an AI-generated um, resource. Or they might create Bible studies for their small groups and their life groups that are, that are based off of the sermon. And they'll use our tool for, for that kind of purpose. Um, okay. But how you kind of framed it is is kind of the original like pet project I had in mind. And I think eventually we'll get to that vision. Um, but in the meantime, the way churches are, are adopting this technology is, is for more practical uses and for repurposing, uh, you know, the, the sermons and the content that they already produce. Yeah, which makes sense. You can take a, a, a spoken product and then convert it into a written product. And of course, that takes a lot of time if you're just going to sit down at a keyboard and write it out. But uh, if if you have a, an AI who can help uh, that project, that's that's super useful. And I've actually done that with talks that I've done already. And it is it's it's a very useful way to, to, to make that conversion. But I'm interested uh, along that original purpose that you were talking about. Uh, is the day coming where we will be able to have um, virtual consultations with uh, St. Augustine and John Calvin because somebody took all their writings and put them together and we can have a conversation with an AI version of them? I, just speaking from the technology side, that, that, that technology is already available. I mean, we, we can do that now. We can, we can take all of St. Augustine's purpose of words and create a chatbot off of it and someone can have a virtual conversation with St. Augustine. Um, whether or not that becomes commonplace. I, I think there's some, you know, just moral and uh, kind of cultural questions that come with it. Um, but, but in terms of the technology, a lot of that is actually, the technology is certainly capable of doing that today. Okay. Now, Jared, I want to bring you in because you are on often the pastoral side of this, working within a local church. Um, you've seen how AI is being used kind of to develop sermons, to help us as kind of research assistants. But what's your response to this idea of using AI, not just to create content, which is seems like a good efficiency, but also as essentially a um, kind of a brain trust, an amalgamation of, of Christian thought that people will consult rather than an actual person? Yeah, I think there's it's it's one of those things when 
when you know AI t is talked about in any capacity, it, there's there are all these red flags and concerns that even um, you'll you'll see even the the companies are at least um, companies like um, OpenAI and um, Microsoft and Google and and uh, and all of those are they're they're sounding these alarms, but um, there's there's still a lot of you know this stuff is developing so fast that it, it there we have to be careful in what are we giving up by what we can do so you know some of the things i've looked at even on the in the washington stand and you know an article i wrote a few months ago just focusing on a lot of tools that had come out for pastors and specifically um where you know, it, it could generate uh, sermon illustrations for you. Um, you know, you would, it would basically, you know, using ChatGPT, the API there, and bringing, bringing that in, um, it would generate a sermon illustration based on the prompt you give it, or um, you could, you know, make your sermon sound more educated, um, take it up to PhD level, things like that. Now, you know, there, uh, the obvious concerns, well, I, I think they're obvious, um, concerns that, that come out of that is you're allowing the um, artificial intelligence to make choices um, about the content and actually influence the content. And in, in your open, Joseph, you, you use the phrase as, as how – how is AI going to shape the church? I, I think that right there is is something that we need to be very careful of and make sure the church is shaping AI. Yeah. Um, Joe, I, Joe, I'd like you to respond to that because you're kind of on the developer side of this. And my understanding about AI is generally the the output of the AI has everything to do with the person who created it. Now, I've gone into like BARD, which is Google's AI or ChatGPT, and I've asked them kind of quasi-theological or political questions. And it's very clear that they have a perspective that the AI mm -hmm. has been programmed with that they're trying to, um, you know, that the, the, reveals itself in the output. Is that, is it possible then to create a authentically or genuinely or sincerely, whatever term you want to use, Christian AI, because the the creators of it have that orientation. So its output would not be um, as, you know, concerning as perhaps something chat GPT creates. Yeah, we, we actually got a lot of feedback on that initially. Uh, a lot of pastors were very concerned with this very same issue of, hey, how can I trust this thing? You know, what is it trained on? Uh, is the response going to be something I'm theologically aligned with? And, and so we did we did two things to address that. First of all, we we made sure that our chatbot is trained only on that particular pastor's or that particular church's corpus of sermons. Um, and then the second thing we did is we made sure that we provide citations, like links that go back to that particular timestamp in that particular sermon where that where that pastor spoke about that particular issue. Um, so we're very sensitive to that concern. Uh, I, I personally think it's a valid concern as well. Like, hey, what is this trained on? Does it have some biases? Um, and and to address that, we we made sure that it was a trained on just that corpus of data, and b that we have citations to to attribute how the the chatbot is generating that response. 
So yeah. Pastor AI does not have a particular eschatology that it's going to be forcing upon no. everyone? No, no. So uh, one church's response to a biblical question could be very different yeah. from a, 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 a different church. Right. Jared, does that comfort you at all? No, yes, it does. I mean, I've I've been as I've been surveying a lot of the the potential applications and then actual applications for the church, and then you know when when we were when, when you and I were discussing even this podcast and looking at Pastors AI, I mean, this is really exciting actually because I, I, this is one of the few that I've seen that is actually this might be an actual uh, I think ethically sound and and helpful use of of ai because there are a lot of there are a lot of things that could be helpful but they might not necessarily be ethical in the sense of they're 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 bringing in things to the pastor that that short circuits the pastor's work um this is something that i think can amplify and and help um for i mean just a personal example um I was. I preached a sermon. I, I, I preach rather infrequently at at my church, but but when I, I do, and um, it was a month or two ago, I, I preached a sermon, and then just for kicks, right after I I had finished the the manuscript, I, I fed it into Google Bard and asked it to give me a summary. It was terrible. I mean, the summary mm-hmm. was was uh, like it, it got it summarized my introduction very well and then the conclusion but it kind of left out the meat of everything um and and that was just so so it wasn't trained and it didn't know the things to pull the right things to pull out even for a summary and i just did that as a just like for kicks as as i just had finished the sermon text um so so I could see the benefit of being able to train it on because that's probably coming trained from just Google Bard's world, you know, the entire world that it of the internet that it has, and not being able to specialize that. So yeah, if, if I may respond sure. to that, I mean, there could be a couple of things going on there. One could sim- the simplest answer might be it, it just maybe the technology hasn't hasn't been mature enough yet. Um, Bard. Uh, and in my opinion, it is a little bit behind OpenAI uh, and ChatGPT. And there's also this thing, this phenomenon in the machine learning world called um, loss, the loss in the middle phenomenon. If you give it a very large manuscript or a very large transcript, it, it might understand the beginning and end, but there's a lot that gets lost in the middle, and hence the term. Uh, so it's kind of a U-shaped mm-hmm. phenomenon, really good at the beginning stuff and at the end stuff. But the meat in the middle content is, is sometimes lost on the AI. Um, so, so we've we've actually taken a real close look at that. We, we've done some A/B comparisons of different LLMs. We've taken some different approaches where we chunk up the manuscript or transcript, and then have it summarize those chunks, and then combine the summaries. Uh, so, so we're looking into that from um, uh, a technological perspective of how can we improve it. Um, but to your point, Jared, there, there may also be some biases of not just looking at that particular manuscript, but also taking into account the whole corpus of data that it's been trained on. No, yeah, that, that's interesting. And, and it's interesting that you, you, you all, y'all have seen that as well in, mm-hmm. in how, it, how it outputs things. What other, I mean, I, I'm just curious, um, are you noticing other aspects of um, the, the current 
large language models, um, that that deficiencies that they have and where they are and, and working how to how to get around those within the church sphere. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's uh, the, the general consensus is that GPT four is is right now in the lead uh, above all other large language models, uh, but that open source is is catching up pretty quickly. And, and that's an area that's pretty exciting to me because with open source, you can fine tune that model uh, pretty extensively uh, with different weights and biases, different training data. And, and that's what we're starting to do with Pastors AI. Like the first step was, okay, we're gonna train these chatbots only on your church's sermons. Um, but there could be a time in the future where we, we ditch GPT-4 or BARD or any other off-the-shelf LLM and then go with an open source one that's even more fine-tuned to um, the corpus of, of data that we're collecting. Uh, so far, uh, churches have uploaded 30,000 sermons through our system. Um, and that gives us an interesting position where, okay, now if we have the world's largest vector database of sermons, can we potentially create our own fine-tuned model that's really in tuned with, um, with the type of content that we're feeding it. Uh, so, so that's an area that, that we're keeping a, a close eye on is, is how the open source community is evolving and catching up to GPT. Yeah. We've kind of become tribal within the church. Are we going to see a world not too far from now where you basically have the kind of like squish AI and you have like the Christian nationalist AI and then you have the progressive AI where everybody's kind of trying to create their own content with this AI model that they've all kind of just built with their own preconceived biases. And so the AIs are essentially going at war with each other, just like we all kind of do right now. <laughs> I, I hope not. Um, I, I think our philosophy or, or my philosophy is really to just try to keep things specific and tailored to the particular church. So a Catholic church might have a very different um, set of responses than, than a Presbyterian church, for example. Um, and we don't want to get into the business of, okay, having, you know, our set of theology kind of superimposed yeah. on any particular chatbot responses. So even if we eventually switch over to a, an open source model, we, we want to be very sensitive to yeah. fine-tuning it to that particular church's sermons. Yeah. Well, I believe that that's your goal, but I am concerned that that's not going to be everybody's goal because everything is kind of being weaponized, it seems, culturally. And yeah. I mean, is that a foreseeable outcome where all of the tribal wars that we see, we just kind of basically bring in our AI troop troops in order to conduct the battle that we're already trying to fight? Yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um I, I hope it doesn't evolve to that. Um, you know, if I can give a personal anecdote, about 15, 20 years ago, and it dates me a little bit, um, I actually made a social network for churches, and it was effectively kind of a Christian version of a MySpace or a Facebook. And at first, I was I was really in tune to that idea. I was like, okay, we're going to have a safe space for Christians to, to pray for each other and fellowship. But it started getting weaponized, and it started getting very political, and it it made me have some not so good feelings about the work I was doing at the time. Yeah. Um, and so I hope AI doesn't evolve into that where we have kind of a, a woke progressive chat GPT and then we have kind of a, a Christian version uh, that Christians use. 
Um, I, you know, my goal with Pastors AI ha- has nothing to do with that, though. It, it is to create something for a local church and a local pastor. But right. potentially there's other folks out there that are trying to create kind of a, a Christianized version of, of ChatGPT. And certainly the open source models that are out there can can enable them to do that. Another question for either of you is we talk about kind of the ability to uh, create an AI version of a particular pastor, a particular worker, a particular kind of, uh, you know, church. Is there any concern that that will allow people to consult uh, not with an actual human, but with a an accurate artificial representation of that human, which may then pull us even further away from the knee-to-knee, face-to-face, hand-to-hand kind of discipleship that needs to be happening? Because I've concerned, you know, I'm a pastor's kid, and I have said somewhat controversially, and I don't know how strongly I feel this, but I have said in the past that you shouldn't call yourself someone's pastor if they don't have your cell phone number. I think you can be a teacher, you can be uh, an educator, you can be lots of things, but you have no ability to pastor or disciple somebody if they don't actually have access to you as human, right? So I feel like there's already been kind of this space created between uh, the the disciple or the, the 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 flock, the sheep, and the person that they look to for their spiritual guidance, which is not always healthy, especially in, in the bigger the church is, of course, the bigger that problem is. So I am slightly concerned that this could just amplify that where people feel like they're getting answers and maybe even good answers, but it's without the relationship that is really necessary for discipleship. What's your reaction to that? I I share that concern. Uh, I I guess I have two reactions. One is, you know, one of the original reasons I made this was also for my own spiritual journey. Like I was pretty spiritually dry and, uh, you know, this was after COVID. We stopped going to church during during COVID and online church just didn't do it for me. Um, And so, like being part of the community, being in fellowship face to face, I think is is critical. Um, when I see all these chatbots come in through Pastors AI, and I, I see the kind of responses that I'm getting, or that that the AI is getting, um, it there, it doesn't resonate with me. Like I can nod my head and 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 it makes sense, but it doesn't it doesn't resonate with me at all. Um, it's not until I'm actually sitting in the sermon, talking about it with other people, with, with other uh, congregants. Um, when a chatbot's response really hits home. And so I, I, I also have the concern that people will just use this as a replacement to, of church or a replacement of a pastor. Um, but I found from personal experience that, that that's not the case, that if I just use this chatbot, it's not a replacement for church. It's certainly not a replacement for fellowship. Um, and, and then the second thing I'd say is, you know, part of my original vision was I wanted to ask John Northbury anything I wanted. Um, and I was able to do that. But I think that original vision has kind of gone away because of this concern, because I, I am concerned that people will not go to their pastor, um, that they'll just ask these questions. And certainly we want to give them an avenue to do that if these are very sensitive and confidential questions. Um, But it it certainly doesn't replace the face to face. And I think there's been a less emphasis in our product to do this kind of one-on-one pastoral conversation and more of a tool for church pastors and church staff members. Um, so the, the vision has gone away from from kind of a B to C play, where it, it's a churchgoer like me being able to ask their pastor any question, to more of a B to B play, where okay, now we want to use this and put this into the hands of church pastors and church staff rather than church members. Yeah, yeah, I, I think 
um, you know, we're we're at a point with technology and churches where it's. I mean, I, I remember the days. You know, if you want to um, show my age, when it was just kind of scandalous when there was a kid in my youth group who brought the Franklin Bible electronic Bible reader. I think that's what it was called. Is kind of a purple little thing d- device that would like, display one line of scripture at a time on an LCD screen and had a little keyboard on it and they could pull up any Bible verse they wanted. And and so you've, you know, I, I think where this is going to be on churches to use technology to, to keep technology from being a replacement for the gathered church. And I think, you know, we, we've seen this in COVID where, you know, churches are streaming a lot more. Um, and but but churches have to remind people this is not a, a, a replacement for the gathered church for flesh and, and, and bone to be together. Um, and and, you know, because, you know, these technologies are not going to visit you in the hospital. They're not mm-hmm. going to bring you a meal when you're sick. They're not going to come and 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 pray with you um, by your side when when you need prayer. So that still takes real people and and being, you know, the the Bible says, let us not give up meeting together. Um, yeah. As and and so that's that's the goal, and churches need to be. Um, so, so I, I think in something like this, even like with um, with Joe's product, it, it's I think it, it's good and, and helpful. So, you know, we do at our church, we um, our community groups do discussion based upon the sermon. So, you know, that might help in in generating easy discussion questions for group leaders to to talk through with their um, with the people in their groups. But it needs to, you know, if the ch- I think it's incumbent upon the churches, not just the technology, but it's, it's incumbent upon the churches to use the technology to drive people back together mm-hmm. and not just let the technology be an answer into itself. Hey, Joe, I, I want to, we've talked a lot about kind of your particular, um, you know, pastors.ai and the service that that provides and the opportunity there uh, and, and for a local congregation. Uh, but you're also part of Glue, and I misspoke at the beginning, said you were the founder of it, but I know that you're part of it, which is uh, an organization of Christian technology professionals uh, looking to create AI tools, guardrails for the church. If we could, let's back up a little bit, maybe get at a little higher level, look at the horizon for what are the opportunities uh, outside of even maybe just the local congregation, but globally for the gospel, for the kingdom, that you see that AI really might be able to be redeemed and super helpful in just the the, the goal of evangelism and discipleship and all those things? Yeah. So I part, I participated in Glue's Hackathon, and that's how I'm associated with them. And I did see a lot of AI projects, like ours was one of them. Um and there were some interesting ideas out there. I mean, uh, for a hackathon, you know, people are just coming up with wild ideas and, and seeing, you know, what, what can be achieved technologically. Um, and I think there's a lot of opportunities outside of just kind of this local congregation and amplifying sermons and repurposing sermons, which is what I'm focused on. Um, I saw an idea, for example, where someone can get, um, and this kind of speaks to some of the concerns we talked about, but someone can get kind of pastoral counseling 
um, kind of one-on-one therapy or counseling from a pastor um, through kind of this voice interface. Uh, so not just having a, a text-based chat bot, but actually talking with someone, talking with a virtual pastor. Um, so, so, so that was that was pretty interesting. Um, I've also seen examples where people are um, taking a corpus of work, um, let's say uh, like Billy Graham's work, for example, and kind of giving new life to it, uh, creating podcasts out of it, creating new content out of it, creating books out of it. Um, we're, we're also moving to technology where you can actually clone voices pretty easily. Um, so you can conceive, someone can conceivably clone Billy Graham's voice and, and have him give a sermon on a modern day topic. Um, and so those types of technologies are coming and, and I think it opens up a whole Pandora's box of ethical questions and morality questions. Um, but there are definitely some, uh, some interesting use cases for evangelism with AI. Yeah, another thing I think about is you talk about the ability to kind of digitally consult. We're living in, in, in I guess, the the opportunity that creates for kind of virtual connection with people, some of whom might not even live, because you can imagine the scenario that there's going to be this digital version of Billy Graham that sounds just like Billy Graham, who's saying Billy Graham things, and you actually get connected to that. And we know we live in a very uh, lonely world, and the crisis of loneliness has been well documented from a church relational ministry perspective. Is there concern that the relationships people will be forming will be digital and fake? And what impact does that have on the church? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think there's a concern. And, uh, uh, you know, I remember maybe 10, 15 years ago, there was this phenomenon called called Second Life. Where there was this virtual reality where people can, can congregate digitally. Um, and, and I think we're going to see more of that as, as like VR and Apple's headset comes, comes in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to see kind of this digital connection to address some of these loneliness challenges. Um, and, and I think that's great. But yeah, I, I also share your concern that it, it could cause people to effectively replace meeting face-to-face and fellowshipping in person. Um, so I, I think I think it's a trade-off. Uh, you know, it made me think about this other phenomenon I'm seeing here in, in Silicon Valley. There, there's a bunch of startups like Character AI and, and Chai where you're having these digital companions, digital go- girlfriends and digital boyfriends. And and that, that causes some concern. There was actually a team from one of these digital companion companies at, at this Glue Hackathon um, and I, I spoke to them a little bit about it, and uh, uh, it, it's interesting how you know they're viewing it. They're viewing their technology as um, addressing the problem of loneliness, uh, but without giving too much thought of okay, is it is it is it actually taking people out of face to face relationships? Yeah. Uh, so, so I think those types of trade offs really need to be uh, uh, considered in a in a very sensitive manner. Jared, pastorally, what's your response to that idea that uh, the church might provide digital relationships as a solution or virtual, so essentially, you know, not human relationships as the solution to the crisis of loneliness? Yeah, I think that's that's the church not doing its job. I mean, I mean, that's a short answer, but 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 yeah, we our 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 job is to. Um, 
to to be salt and light in the world, um, not and and I think it is it gets back to that you know substitution. You know, are we substituting the technology for the actual hard work of loving someone and yeah. and 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 pursuing someone and um, reaching out to someone, um, making even the difficult phone call? You know, that that's a technology, but um, those are those are things that are sometimes hard to do. Sometimes we don't have time to do. But if we if we allow these things to replace that, then everybody gets more lonely, everybody gets more uh, segmented and separated. Yeah. I, I think kind of an analogy that just came, popped into my mind is, um, and it's completely unrelated, but it, I, I think there's some uh, some analog here, it is like the vaping industry. Um, Ten years ago, there was a startup in San Francisco called Juul, whose mission was to get people to stop smoking right. uh, by, by introducing this vaping pen. Um, and at first, I mean, it was a very noble mission, and I think they were having some success there. But what it ended up doing is introducing a lot of people, especially young people, to smoking, to vaping. Um, so it was kind of, you know, it was kind of a gateway drug into into nicotine, yeah. Um, yeah. and that was completely opposite to what their mission was. And I think uh, folks that are developing AI tools, I think we need to be very cognizant and sensitive to this. That yeah. yes, it's noble to try to address loneliness, but we should really look at it from the other angle, which is, okay, we're trying to get people more connected um, to their churches and, and, and not be a replacement. Yeah. Yeah. If I can jump in with a question for, for Joe, just, I, I'm just curious what, you know, as somebody on the, the front lines of the technological lane, um, what keeps you anchored as, as a believer in, from just, because I'm sure there's a lot of we can do this, so let's do it um, mm-hmm. mentality and attitude. What what keeps you anchored in in that? For me personally, I I mean, uh, yeah, it, there's a temptation to just make something just because you can. Uh, like for example, at the Glue Hackathon, we we made kind of a digital clone of John Orkberg where you can ask him something and just verbally talk to him and he'll give you a verbal response. Um, something like that is is cool and it's interesting and it satisfies my technical curiosity and I think I, I think it's just fun to work on. But, it, but it's, it's not something that I feel would be a great thing for the world, at least now, because it, it could replace that, that one-on-one relationship that we've been talking about. Um, so for me, I, I do have kind of, um, uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's, I don't want to call it a moral compass, but it's more of a, a use case that resonates with me. And for me, as, as a churchgoer who has had a spiritual journey that's ebbed and flowed, um, I want something that brings me closer to my church um, and, and gets me closer to community as opposed to away from it. Yeah. And I, I can tell I'm on the right track because... Sometimes when I miss church and I go and look at the summary or look at the devotionals that are generated from it, like I said, it doesn't resonate with me. It's only when I sat in church, when I heard the full context, when I saw the emotion that the pastor was was displaying as he was talking about this personal anecdote or this personal story. Um, that's when, when I see the devotional that gets created from it or the Bible study that gets created from it. That's when it really hits home. Um, so for me, I, I guess it's just my personal dog fooding. 
uh, of the tool that, that kind of navigate that helps me navigate how to uh, how to deploy the technology. Now we have seen. I think we all agree that using technology to fill the void in our relationships with something artificial is not ideal, and that's that's a, essentially a failure of the body of Christ. But we know that this virtual world exists and that there are people whose real life, that most of their life is spent in a virtual universe. And that is likely to increase. Now, I became aware, and I'm forgetting the name of the gentleman, but I was listening to the uh, the World Magazine podcast, The World and Everything in it, and I became acquainted with these people who have started virtual churches and they are essentially vr missionaries where they have like these raccoon avatars and they go into these and they're pastors of these virtual churches and people will wander into their churches and they're doing gospel these are real christians who kind of got saved out of loneliness in this virtual world and that was part of their life they get saved and then they go back into that virtual world as missionaries What's your reaction to that as a space that the church will need to be present in? Is that is that uh, propagating a problem, or is that just gospel adaptation to the context in which we live? I mean, I I, I would say that it's that's not a completed step. I mean, I think we need to to bring those people back into the the real flesh and blood connection that is is the gathered church of of God. So so I think I think while it's fine to go and and do missions within say a virtual area um leaving it there um doesn't it doesn't finish the job. I mean you're not going to be able to virtually baptize someone in water for example. <laughs> So you know, you've, or 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 uh, or uh, you know, partake of the, the Lord's table virtually. Um, so uh, I think there are some some very physical, real things. I mean, you you can't deny the physical in in our in the world that God has made. Yeah. Yeah, and kind of go back to uh, like the jewel example. I mean, it's depending on who they're trying to serve. If they're trying to serve folks who have not met Jesus and are lost, uh, then I think it's a great missions field. Um, if they are getting people who are already believers and are lukewarm Christians, and now this virtual world is getting them out of physical church, then it, then it's a bad thing, <laughs> right? And so um, I, I think it, a lot of it, yeah, is contextual. And uh, while I don't know the specifics of this virtual church, it kind of reminds me of the second life phenomenon that happened 10 years ago. Where I noticed uh, Life Church, for example, was was uh, had a presence there. Um, I think I, I think their objective was to use it as a missions field, and uh, if, if that's who they're reaching, then I, I think there's a lot of value to it. Well, Jared Bridges, Joe, uh, I think we're probably going to have to revisit this conversation every six months or so because my my feeling is there are going to be emerging questions as the technology develops, as the world changes very, very rapidly. I think we're at the very beginning of this, not the end, but uh, thanks so much for your time today and uh, helping us think through these uh, critical questions. Thank you, Joseph. This is great to be here. Yep. Good to be here.
And friends, thank you for listening in and joining the conversation. Of course, we always do it for you. And if you have enjoyed this conversation, share with a friend, because if you've learned something, they probably will as well. Quick reminder also to like and subscribe wherever you are finding us, because if you don't, you won't get the next episode, which is released every Tuesday and Friday. We certainly don't want you to miss anything. Also, if you have any questions, comments, feedback, if you have suggestions for future topics that we can tackle here on how to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, send me an email at outstanding at washingtonstand.com. It has been my pleasure. I look forward to the next one. My name is Joseph Backholm, and this has been Outstanding. Outstanding is a production of The Washington Stand, where you can find news and commentary from a biblical worldview.